Odysseus is a wife guy. Actually, actually, Ned is a modern Odysseus because he tried all those things. He's been on his own odyssey. And also, he did talk about his wife all, his, all the time while he was actively cheating on her. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends all English rager- <laughs> All English ragers? <laughs> Raging English to be ragers. English lit majors. <laughs> okay, read popular fiction with me! However, this month, my guest is not an English major. It is my anthropology major roommate from college- Bailey. Bailey, where are you? Shout out. Um, I am in my car. It is approximately 26 degrees um, here in Kansas City, Missouri. And I let me I'm going to paint a picture for the folks at home. Um, I don't know if you heard in our last app uh, featured in the background was my dog Miso crying <laughs> and barking a few times. Because she is upset that she was not included. Um, so to not have that happen this time, I am recording from my car. <laughs> and I it's not turned on, so I'm wearing leggings, sweatpants, wool socks, winter boots because it's very slick outside. Um, I'm wearing a mock neck sweater and a zip up hoodie and I do have my hood up and I'm also wearing a scarf and I'm also wearing gloves. <laughs> so what we need to understand is Bailey is stronger than the truth. And this is true. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to need everyone to jot that down. <laughs> <laughs> no one is doing it like her. I also want to be clear that I did not ask Bailey to record in her car. <laughs> no. This Um, was a choice I I made. It is a choice she made. (laughs) Um, Let's see. A couple of things we have to do at the beginning. One, I don't know if you heard our little tune played last week. Um, So there's a little bit of an inside joke there. I um, played tuba in high school and... I tweeted the first episode of the podcast out and was like, if you noticed that we don't have an intro, like, theme, mind your business, and my friend Devin, who was my section leader in high school, who is getting his master's in tuba performance, um, responded and was like, we can fix that. And so we DM'd about it a little bit, and he played me some stuff, and I think this is a good tie together to, like, tie in... A little bit of my past as, you know, a tuba performance person, um, which I no longer am. I don't even think I know how to read music anymore. Oh, no. But thank you, Devin. Thanks, Devin. Um, Your tuba is slay. The tuba is slay. Honestly, Devin is so good at the tuba. Yeah, it is. I texted Tucker once I actually heard, like, the full pod, like, when it was posted, and I was like, okay intro you've done it this is it i think it's kind of fun i think it's a good bit for it to be the tuba yeah also so sorry to say i'm your boyfriend that we had to nix his intro with his with his copyrighted music yeah we cannot use his intro also it said the word it it did say some it had some very inappropriate phallic language in it. And this is true. So go back to, what is that, episode two, if you want to hear Sam's intro that he made for us. But alas, Instagram spoke and said, we do not want to hear that ever again. <laughs> okay, let's see what has happened this week. Um, The Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Very exciting. Hell yeah. Neither of us went to the parade. No. But only one of us got the day off, and it was not me. I had the day off. I said I'll be going anywhere but the parade today. Um, let's see. Not much else has happened. Uh, Cersei dropped. We're recording this on Thursday night. It was supposed to be Monday night, but my friend from high school was in town, so I went and got dinner with her. And actually, our waiter, this was actually so fun. Our waiter really was out of it, and I ordered some pork dumplings, but Dano is a vegan, and they were out of the vegetable dumplings, and he thought I was a vegetarian, so he didn't put my order of dumplings in, 
And then he, I asked where the dumplings were, and he said, oh my gosh, I didn't put those in. And so I got my dumplings for free. Yo. And he gave all of us our sides of rice for free. So I paid $6 for sushi and rice and dumplings. Dang. So I tipped 100% because I was like, okay, like, clearly this man is having a bad night. So, like, it doesn't mean he deserves to get, like, a dollar tip. True. When he, like, served us for, like, an hour. So, anyway, that was really wonderful. Love. Let's see. Has anything exciting happened to you this week besides the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl? Um, nope. <laughs> Truly. Oh. Okay, then maybe we should, maybe we should talk about myths. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so this is kind of how this episode is going to go. This is our, I, you can call it our comparison contrast episode, you can t- call it our monthly reflection episode, really up to you, but basically we're going to talk about, like, themes that go through all of the books we read, what we liked about them, what we didn't like about them, if there is purpose in a genre like this. Um, stuff like that, because I think that those are things that I've thought about a lot in terms of book talk books, especially ones that are, like, very repetitive, where I'm like, okay, is it, like, purposeful or good that I am reading this? And, like, sometimes it's not, and it can still be joyful and something fun to read, but sometimes it is just, like, Something we need to think about maybe not glorifying as, like, the best book we've ever read. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's our our most consistent theme, Bailey? Oh, definitely most consistent theme is probably that um, women get fucked. (laughs) And not even in a fun way. (laughs) Not in a fun way. These were, like, very not smutty books. Yeah. Um, Like, Cersei kind of gets it a little bit, but, like, not in any way that's, like, fun for the reader. I guess Achilles and Patroclus, like, there's the vague um, having sex while mom's not watching in the Rose Quartz cave. The horse cave, but... There's, like, allusions to sex, and there's also sex everywhere in greek myths because like they're also chock full of like rape and sexual assault and like godly roofing which is you know deeply upsetting Mm -hmm. um women also be losing even in like a book centered around a male love story like it is just so obvious that these original stories didn't see women as anything except like secondary characters, mm-hmm. or at least the ones that we've read. Like we haven't read anything about like Arachne, which is the woman who believed she was as good of a weaver as Athena, and we all know how it goes when you like piss off a god or goddess by being even like marginally close to how good they are at their godly skill and so like she gets turned into a spider and faces athena's wrath but like she is the center of that story but even in the stories that we read where women were at the center like it was clear that in the original tale they were an afterthought right which, I mean, I guess is just our penance for wanting to read about Greek mythology in that things were written by men and things are still written by men. Do you think that, like, the authors had another option? Like, do you think it is good enough that they gave, like, voice to, like, mostly voiceless characters who have been in history just like pared down to like one or two acts like Cersei kidnapped Odysseus to her island and had a child with him boiled down to that in the Odyssey and Ariadne betrayed her family and helped Theseus kill the Minotaur like boiled down to that do you think it's like enough and good that like these women have voices and thoughts and, like, we get, like, a real look into their mind? Or do you wish that there had been some way to, like, not have them, 
lose and lose and lose? Or do you think that's kind of the point? I mean, I guess we touched on this a little bit when we talked about Ariadne, how, you know, do we want like a story that is accurate or do we want a story that is just like fun and fanciful and, you know, like whatever we want it to be? Um, I don't know. I do feel like if it was, if it did stray from like the main storyline, I think that would probably like piss off a bunch of like Greek scholars and people that actually know the myths. Um, I do not know a single fucking thing, <laughs> just <laughs> by nature. <laughs> um, so I think in, you know, in a way, it could be interesting to uh, diverge from the actual myth and, like, have, you know, like, more of a fun book that you can enjoy even even without accuracy. But I do think, you know, if you want to go along with the original storyline, then it you and you want to focus on women or you want to focus on the... Um, the what, what is he called the boyfriend <laughs> the love interest of mm-hmm. um you know like a uh, a main character in greek mythology then you do have to i don't know it does have to kind of suck cuz i do think that is i guess that is like the point of these fables right shout out to one of our friends who actually is a, a english major for <laughs> letting us know what a fable is and that is in fact what we are trying to talk about here um i don't know i'm kind of just talking now but no that's okay something that i just thought of was like maybe the way to make it so women don't lose is to not finish the story mm. Like, maybe with Ariadne, the way to make it good without it being, like, girl boss. Like, like if we finish the story, but we just pretend at the end that she became Queen of Athens and, like, was not kidnapped by Theseus and, like, did not get turned to stone by Perseus. Like, if we just get to spend a couple hundred pages, like in Ariadne's head, like, more time on her childhood, like, maybe, maybe Theseus is in the court for, like, a week, and they, like, there's, like, more time spent with, with the Athenian tributes, and it, like, ends with them escaping the, off the island. Like, maybe it gets to be hopeful, and we just, like, don't find out the ending. I think that's the only way to do it without it being, like, and then we, and then... Ariadne figured out that Theseus was a snake, and she chose to stay on Dionysus' island, Mm -hmm. and, like, all of that. Like, that would feel very yucky to me. So I feel like there's a way to, like, stay with the original story and maybe, like, leave it open-ended instead of just, like, and then the women got fucked again. Yeah. Because that's how the myths end. I guess that is like sort of what happened in Circe where, I mean, there were points in the story where she does like very obviously get fucked over. Um, but it does kind of end open-endedly in that, you know, she turns herself mortal and then just has like the rest of her life with Telemachus and it's like we don't we don't know what happens after that maybe something sucks but also we don't know okay that's the main theme guys is women always lose Mm -hmm. but there's lots of other things that are a part of these books that I think are really interesting thematically and like I think it's fun when authors explore them and when we get to recommendations I can kind of toss out like which books that I've read that kind of fit with some of the more consistent themes. So if you're interested in, like, reading books that go with one of the themes we talk about, I can kind of toss out which authors are doing that in a really interesting and good way. Mm -hmm. So consistent themes that go with women always losing is they also don't have agency, and when they do practice agency, it's either in a very small way or it's in a, like, large, murderous way. Mm-hmm. 
if that makes sense. So it's either like I have agency and that like I can like make choices for myself, like the way that Penelope practiced agency in the Odyssey was to weave and unweave every night to maintain her like marriage to Odysseus instead of being preyed upon by the men who were there. That's like a small act of agency versus like Clytemnestra who had very little agency and then when Agamemnon was at the war for 10 years she spent those 10 years plotting how to murder him and when he comes back she like kills him the night he returns home like those are yo there's like two different things i didn't know that that is slay (laughs) oh yeah she (laughs) she kills that man and he deserves it yeah man um but like it's either like practicing agency through like traditional women's work or it's like i am taking back my life in like a very intense way Mm mm-hmm that happens a lot. Um, what do you think about the second one? Yeah, the gods will do what they will um, is our second consistent theme. I think that is definitely a theme, not just for, you know, these three books for Greek Myth Month, but also, I mean, at least with my books for my recommendations, that is also extremely true. And I'm sure for Tucker's, they are as well. Because I think that's just like the whole vibe of Greek mythology and um, in general is just, you know, these are the gods. They don't, you know, conform to to human society, human norms. They will literally do whatever they want. And because they're immortal and have like endless power, it doesn't really matter to them. I think the other thing that is interesting that I like that the authors do, like, especially with Cersei, like, you you understand why Athena is doing what she's doing, whereas especially tales that, like, center around things that Zeus has done, like, Zeus is not thinking about slights to him. Like, we never see him as a true leader of Olympus. Like, we don't really understand why he's the king of the gods besides he's the most powerful. We don't, like see him make any intelligent choices it feels like every choice that he makes is like to the detriment of himself and so like it is frustrating i think to get a narrative that really is driven forward by the gods doing what they will but with no sense of like what the actual god or goddess is thinking which is why i think cersei is so interesting because we get athena in cersei's living room Mm mm-hmm And they, like, have multiple confrontations. It's not just, like, oh, yes, like, Athena is the, like, protector of Odysseus. And that's all we need to know about her. Like, that's not as interesting as, like, um, getting, like, either, like, maybe, like, a chapter from the point of view of the gods. Or, like, why the war was happening. Like, like, the, the Trojan War is made so much more interesting by the machinations of the gods like pulling on people's puppet strings Mm -hmm. and when you boil it down to just the men fighting each other it becomes i think to me at least less interesting but maybe that's because i think it's a stupid war i would like to hear about more tale now that you're talking about it like i was just thinking you know is there a book out there that is like, I know you hate the Trojan War, but is there, as someone who thought it was real <laughs> until three weeks ago, is there, um, you know, is there a story out there that is like the Trojan War, but only from like Apollo's point of view or Athena's point of view or, you know, a the point of view of these gods that are like pulling the strings behind the scenes, but it's like not something that we really get to see because... You know, the stories, of course, always focus on the humanity within it all, or lack thereof. So, I do have one to recommend to you down in the recommendations section that we can talk about a little bit more, because um, it's not from the specific point of view of one god, but it traces the hands of multiple gods and why they were involved with the war mm-hmm. through the humanity in the war as well. It's it's really incredibly done. Nice. Um, Can't okay. wait. 
it really is I good book. I'm excited to recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um I guess this is not a consistent theme in the three books that we read, but it is I have been ladies and gents, I have been reading Greek myth books <laughs> and this this is a consistent theme, which is that the Trojan War always ends stupid. Damn. From the death of Patroclus to the death of Hector to the death of Achilles to Agamemnon's ego to the fucking Trojan horse. Listen, like how dare you? The the Agamemnon's bullshit emotional like insecure male ego decision that creates the argument with Achilles that leads to it all. Mm-hmm. What a shitty way to go out. Yeah. Like, I get that, like, the fates cut the thread and they know what's going to happen. But, like, just to watch it and read it unfold the same way every single time. Like, that is another consistent theme is every single author has not a good fucking thing to say about Agamemnon. (laughs) Like, that dude sucks. I will say I was um, thrilled to, as an aside, I was thrilled during the Super Bowl. There was a commercial um, and, and it featured the Trojan horse. And I thought, hey, somebody's been listening to the pod. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. They have been listening to the pod. They've been listening. They're doing such good work. Thanks. Whoever <laughs> made that commercial. Glad you're a fan. Listen every week. Oh my god! Anyway, that is so good. <laughs> I I did see the Trojan for, Trojan Horse commercial. We have been getting myth content during Greek Myth Month. Truly, thank God. Yes, and not just from Bailey's excellent work on the Instagram. Yeah, again, follow us on at English Majors Pod on Instagram. <laughs> um. Okay, I think the next two themes go together. Mm-hmm. The theme of being a hero sucks, and being a woman connected to a hero, all caps, sucks. Yeah. I mean, I guess that is that is sort of like the point of, you know, like ancient Greek myths. It It is a way like, you know, back 2,000, 3,000 years ago um, for like you know, parents to tell their children, like, this is why you shouldn't do this, and this is why hubris is bad, and watch out for your heel. <laughs> it's really sensitive. <laughs> um, and, and of course, we then, you know, take that now in 2023 as, like, it's these, like, amazing stories and all these things, and, you know, I feel like as... I I can only assume these, like, little Greek children running around 2,000 years ago were probably like, Mom, I don't care about Achilles, but <laughs> we think it is Slay in this, in this day and age. But Slay in a way that um, you really don't want to be these people. You really don't. It sucks. I also think that both being a hero sex and being a woman connected to a hero sex ties back to the gods will do what they will. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked, I think, over and over again about how having the hand of a god on you just ruins your life. Like, there are very few heroes who live to old age. There are very few heroes who, like, live to old age happily. And right. all of that ties back to the fact that, like, having the hand of fate and glory on your back, like, ruins your life. Right. Being a woman connected to a hero sucks, I think, goes a couple of different ways, because it can go, like, a woman connected to Achilles, Briseis, like, her life is ruined because she becomes a slave to the man who, like, killed her whole family, and, like, is stuck in the Greek camp for years and years and years, well, in Song of Achilles. Um, and she, like, literally causes the end of the Trojan War. She is the crux. Mm -hmm. Or you have, like, a woman connected to Odysseus, who, like, Penelope, who is just there to wait around and wait around and wait around. Like, either way, your life is not what it should have been because of the gods working on a man as opposed to just, like, allowing people to live. Also... 
just like the concept of a demigod especially like is like so frustrating because I would love if the gods would mind their own business like (laughs) I don't I don't mind the idea of them like like I prefer like Athena to Odysseus where she is like not his mother she is like his patron Mm. like I think that I like the idea of the gods as patrons much more than I like them as parents mostly because like the power dynamic is so bad I really don't know if there's any way for like a mortal to consent to having sex with a god Ooh, so fair bestie (laughs) yeah I don't know even being a woman connected to is Ariadne technically a demigod no, she is the she is the granddaughter of Helios, so she like has she's like, like a- immortal blood running in her veins. Uh-huh. But I guess it depends on your interpretation of the story whether or not even like Pasiphae is immortal. Right. That's but fair, like that's there's fair. there's no chance that she like it was very interesting in Ariadne that she was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm the, like, granddaughter of Helios. Like, how could something bad happen to me while I'm, like, under the son of my grandfather? He must be looking out for me. He was not. And (laughs) he was not because he didn't care. He probably probably has hundreds of grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. No, he probably did not even know she existed. But, yeah, being a woman connected to a god... Dionysus, for example. Um, clearly that didn't end well. She never would have gone to Argos if it wasn't... I don't know why I keep pronouncing it like a British person. <laughs> Sorry. Probably because a British person narrated the book. I know. <laughs> um, it's actually because I'm a quarter Welsh. <laughs> oh my god, fuck off. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Long story short, being a woman connected to a hero sucks. Women always lose. They don't have agency. But the only woman with agency is Cersei, technically. And the only reason she has agency is because the gods thought she was, like, too lame to care about her. And that is true. And they, like, scapegoated her with the rest of the... Like, everyone else in her family is also a witch, so they definitely just, like, scapegoated her and sent her to the island. And then they're like, okay, we can just... She just, like, laid down and died and didn't cause problems for us, so she, like, really is a loser. And then they just left her there. And then she got to have agency over her island, which was so wonderful. Mm -hmm. But she almost didn't, because remember when the gods, like remembered she was on that island and they started sending their like fucking bad children to her (laughs) and then she wasn't alone on her island anymore they were like oh cersei's gonna cersei won't say anything to us and that is true we're just gonna send our bad kids here and that'll fix it yeah and like oh my god imagine being alone for like what probably hundreds of years and then they're like "Ooh, what if we made you a babysitter too yeah like that sucks yeah so, even a woman with agency actually does not have any agency. She lives by the whims of the gods again and again and again. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I think we've talked about this a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Like, women always lose. Women are consistently punished for men's actions. Like, there is no action that a man takes that he is, like, really held responsible for. Like, the Agamemnon and Achilles conflict, their conflict, like, starts back with Iphigenia, who is killed because the men disrespected Athena, and then they had to kill a virgin to get a good win to go to to Troy. As one does. And then there is that Agamemnon and Achilles conflict over Briseis who did nothing besides exist as a woman and then is not only forced to be a sexual slave for Achilles but then also forced to be a sexual slave for Agamemnon and be the crux of like the death of the only man keeping a fucking crazy person sane Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just like I'm I'm speaking of course Patroclus and Achilles Mm -hmm. so and like 
all of the women of Troy are made slaves because Paris, like, kidnapped, well, maybe kidnapped, unclear, Helen of, Helen of Sparta. So, like, all of the women of Troy become slaves after the fall of Troy because Paris makes one choice. Mm-hmm. The other thing about Paris's choice is while his mother Hecuba was pregnant with him, she was told that he would cause the fall of Troy, and he, like, comes out, and he's this, like, bouncing beautiful baby boy, and they can't convince themselves to kill him, so they, like, give him to someone to kill him, and he doesn't kill Paris, and then Paris, like, grows up in the hillside, and then comes back and still causes the fall of Troy. That'll happen. Like, just, ugh, ugh. I'm, like, not saying that infanticide would have been, like, the right choice. (laughs) I am saying that, like, Paris specifically is the worst. Like, if we think Achilles is bad, like, I guess he's better than Theseus, because he's a little, he's, like, less of a liar. Mm -hmm. But, like, he is not. He's bad. I will say, that is another thing that gods love is infanticide. Think of one book we read where they didn't either try to murder a child or successfully did murder at least a hundred children. Oh my god, that's so true. Another theme! <laughs> infanticide. Oh my god, that's a, t- that's a terrible theme. <laughs> That is an awful theme. And yet, why does it keep coming Oh up? my god. The- okay, well, guys, I will not be recommending books with the theme of infanticide, um, because that's not really in my wheelhouse. Um, if you want to read books with infanticide, you can read The Song of Achilles, or Circe, or Ariadne. Ariadne. <laughs> I guess there isn't technically infanticide in Circe. Athena just wants to kill Telegonus. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You can read Circe. Last question to do with themes that I think we kind of asked earlier, but I want to make sure that we really, like, I don't know if there's a way for us to come to a concrete decision on this, but, like, The main question I have about these books is, is there a purpose in giving giving women a voice in stories, even if women continue to lose? Is it a good thing that we are reading these stories where we come out saying, man, like, the, the girls lost again. Like, is it worth it to consume things and read about and enjoy books that, like, consistently end in, like, a painful ending for the main characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I don't think that, I think, I think that is most evident in Ariadne. I think, obviously, The Song of Achilles does not technically end well, but, you know, there is the very end where, Thetis finally lets Patroclus go to the underworld, the afterlife with Achilles. And that is, like, technically positive. It's not about women, but... (laughs) um, And then Circe, I think, is... I mean, it ends well. I mean, obviously there are bad things that happen to her. That's true. But, like, you know, such as... I. Every every book should have a conflict that gets resolved. Um, basically, what we're saying is, if we were to say what our favorite book was for Greek Myth Month, I think we can both agree it would be Circe. <laughs> yes, I would agree that it's Circe. Mm-hmm. I think that part of it is because we really romanticize the idea of, like, being alone in a place that belongs wholly to us. Mm-hmm. Um... But I also think that it, like, I'm I'm so impressed with Madeline Miller for finding a way out of this pitfall that other uh, authors find themselves in when trying to write women into stories they were not really in before, which is, like, we cannot make it good for them because it just isn't. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm so impressed with and thankful for Cersei because it makes it, like, you can see what it could be. Mm-hmm. 
Madeline Miller, come on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) I also think that you can, like, read books that are sad and that are tough and, like, learn from them. Mm -hmm. I just wish that it didn't feel like we were having to feel that way about 95% of the books. Right. Like, Cersei, I wish, was the rule instead of the exception. Yeah. Very valid. Cersei is our slay girl boss. Okay, cut that out. <laughs> no, no. Cersei, it, it is the best one we read. Yeah. Um, but we're going to go to the next section because we're both not English majors and... I think that we have done the best we can with themes. English majors, write a review. Tell us how we're doing as two non-English majors trying to have an in, a, an in-depth conversation about the importance of literature. Would you also agree that a main um, uh, common thread between and consistent theme between Greek mythology is infanticide? Let us let us know. Yes, let us know. Okay, but we're gonna go do something much more fun. Which is, we're going to talk about all our perfect men, and we're going to rank them. Because it doesn't really make sense to rank across theme months. So we're just going to do all the men from Greek Myth Month. And then, at the end, we'll tease what next week's month is, which is so exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, Bailey, do you want to start at the top? Do we want to start with our best man? Yeah, let's start with our... uh, First and foremost, I want to say I worked so hard on this list. And I did want us to get to 10, so I did have to throw in some some surprises there. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that you... You were right. <laughs> the the perfect men is, you know, we're we're recapping all of like the main love interests in um the three stories that we read this month. Um and we're just gonna start from number one. The perfect man, we think, out of all three stories, is Daedalus. He can he can do no wrong. He is caring towards women he's caring towards cersei he is also caring towards ariadne Mm -hmm. he's not a creep true He like generally maybe maybe he seems like the perfect man to us because he is like the most feminine of all of the men in that he like accepts consequences for his actions and also is trapped in the way that a lot of women are in Mm. these stories he also like actually cares about his son which i feel like is a rarity in these stories oh bailey i have thought of another reason that he is probably the perfect man and it is i'm upsetting upset that i'm going to say this but i'm going to say it he's he is smart enough and like very caring and i bet he's the best lover out of all of them slay i bet so too like i i think the rest of them probably have not thought about a woman's pleasure but i bet daedalus it has you know daedalus gives good head because he loves he you know he loves to figure things out (laughs) daedalus okay I'm, I am blushing. I know that this is an audio medium, but everyone, my face is very red. (laughs) Let's move on to our, (laughs) let's move on to our second man, Mm -hmm. our number two. Everyone, please forgive us. We are in our MILF Manor era. Our, (laughs) our second choice. Our second best man is Telemachus. Yeah, I I will say I did have trouble with this between Telemachus and number three. um, Because I do think, unfortunately, they are similar (laughs) in in some ways. (laughs) Um, But he really was. He really is. um, I wish I could remember who that guy is that plays the I can fix that in holes because he's in so many things isn't he in um psych and he's in he is uh, in psych yeah Dulé Hill oh yeah 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 yeah, I believe yeah he's great here's the thing about Telemachus and the reason that I think he should be ranked above Hippolytus is Hippolytus is a boy and Telemachus is a man okay touche also spoiler for number three (laughs) (laughs) um hippolytus is like just like non-threatening yes which is why i like (laughs) 
he is he's sweet he cares about his horses it's mm-hmm. clear that he's like cares well for animals which is like a sign that a man maybe is not the worst yeah. like all of those things are good but like i don't think that hippolytus would go to cersei's island and i think the thing that stands out to me about telemachus and we'll tie it back to Hippolytus. Telemachus, like, goes to her kitchen and sees a table that's not level and levels it. And Cersei says, well, like, it's just going to rain and it's going to unlevel again. And Hippolytus, or Telemachus just says, well, we'll fix it again then. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that that is what I find. Like, he's just... He's just sturdy and safe and, like, gentle. And I think that all of those are very good. Whereas I think Hippolytus would be, like, he would just, like, sit at, like, a rocky table and just, like, eat his dinner <laughs> and then, like, move on. Yeah. Wouldn't notice it. Yeah. You know? Fair. Yeah. I I will say I do think the reason that I like Hippolytus so much is because he is, like, that less of a threat in that he just like wants to ride around on his little horses and grew up on an island exclusively of women and is sworn to artemis and i just think that is so good of him and then he dies <laughs> and then he does die yeah uh, should we go to sucks. number four perhaps controversial number four yeah number four we i put a question mark i will say I think four, five, and six are kind of tough. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's because we get, we really move into toxic territory now. Yeah. Like, our one, two, and three were, like, generally good men. Mm-hmm. And now we really move into gray area down into, like, maybe, like, red area. Mm-hmm. Um, our number four is Odysseus. Mm-hmm. Which I think we mostly chose because he does eventually go back to his wife. And that is true. I was just going to say, I like, he clearly loves her a lot. Like, that's like his whole thing in the Song of Achilles is he's like, oh, sorry, I just thought about Ned from Try Guys. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Oh, no. Odysseus is a wife guy. Actually, actually, Ned is a modern Odysseus. Because oh, he tried all those things. Damn. He's been on his own Odyssey. And also, he did talk about his wife all his all the time while he was actively cheating on her. Oh my god. You, you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> Ned is a modern day Odysseus. Anyway, Odysseus, huge wife guy. And also, I think, never commits rape. Hey. And that is something. Well, it's... The bar is in hell. The bar is in hell. It's never, I guess, it's never explicitly mentioned that he assaults anyone. And that's... That's good. That's good of him. Uh, So that's, you know... That's as good as it gets. (laughs) Also, to be clear, Odysseus in Circe deserves to be number four. Odysseus in lots of the books I'm going to recommend, maybe further down the list. And also in The Song of Achilles, I think it might move him further down the list because he is, like, a main perpetrator of the murder of Iphigenia. True. So, uh, maybe, maybe we'll say number four is Circe's Odysseus. Yeah. Um, our number five... Is also the last brave of us to say. Yeah, I mean, it's the last one that's not a god because we decided that gods like have to be lower down than demigods or mortals, just like by nature. So five is Achilles. Um, he did love Patroclus, and that's something. He did love Patroclus. He also. And this is true of Odysseus as well. Like, really was stuck with the hand of the gods Mm -hmm. on him. Yeah. And, like, I think... I mean, I understand that this is fake and that, like, no one will ever understand what it was like to have the hand of fate on them. But, like, I think that all... Both Madeline Miller and Ariadne, like, make it very clear that, like, having like, the pressure of godliness upon you is, 
like a terrible burden. It's like what makes Dionysus make the choices that he makes. It's what makes Achilles make the choices that he makes. Like you cannot win. Right. Could should we have put Patroclus on this list? Nah. <laughs> I mean, if he was yeah. on the list, he'd probably be what like between maybe after hippolytus or maybe after telemachus yeah that's what i was thinking yeah i was thinking after hippolytus before odysseus okay 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 3.5 is number six so we had a little bit of a disagreement between six and seven but i think we've settled well mostly because our six while committing some sexual assault after saying that's my favorite thing about nymphs. They can't say no. Uh-huh. Is, um, he did not murder 100 babies. Hey, so our number six, <laughs> Our number six is Hermes. Yeah. Who hasn't done anything any god, other god hasn't done. Right. And he, I will say, when Cersei um, asks him to leave, he does. And that's, that's good. And even if he does it with a little attitude... He does respect it. Right, right. So, I mean, there's there's just not a lot um, to work with here. Yeah. Once once we get past Hippolytus, and uh, Odysseus is okay, but he's not good. Yeah. Um. Once you once you get into the gods, you're really they're bad. Yeah. But we have Hermes above Dionysus. Dionysus obviously number seven because he kills one hundred babies. Yeah. Um. I will say it's kind of crazy of us to have our number 10 the way that we do with the fact that, like, Dionysus killed 100 babies. But okay. in our defense... In, in his he, defense, he, he didn't mean to. Well, he did mean to, but he also meant to bring... <laughs> he, he did mean to bring them back to life. <laughs> he also... Dionysus, like... Was guilty of lying by omission, but he was never guilty of just, like, bald-faced lying, Mm -hmm. which is different than our number 10. Our number 8 and 9 are cute and fun. Yeah, it's... um, Because we really needed you to understand that our number 10 needed to be, like, bottom, bottom, bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it goes 7, Dionysus, 8, the giant stingray, slash Leviathan. He was very cool. Um, honestly, would want to put him higher him. if that made any sense. But, <laughs> and then number nine, we thought that l- the literal Minotaur probably would be even better than number 10. And I feel like you guys know who's missing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Number 10, Theseus, obviously. King Snake himself. King Snake himself. He's the worst. He has no redeeming qualities. He's a liar. He's, like, substantially older in most retellings. Like, he's substantially older in Ariadne. Like, he raped Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons. He, like, just, oh my god. Name one good thing about him. The one good thing Theseus does is he does not marry Phaedra when she's 13. Damn, that's true. Which seems that that did surprise me. The, in the bar book. is in hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that we're supposed to understand that Theseus not Theseus is not particularly interested in marrying Phaedra. Right. Like that's what we really need to get out of that. I think. Yeah, that's true. Um. Okay, guys, we've ranked the perfect men. We have been teasing the next section literally for the past month. We're finally in rec time, and boy, oh boy, do we have some recommendations for you. Yes. Do we want to start? I only have two recs because my brain doesn't work very well, and I can't, I, I can't read. <laughs> I can't read. Well, I mean, <laughs> my brain doesn't work very well, which is why I'm reading so much. Damn. There you go. Those are the two opposite sides of the spectrum. <laughs> Oh my god, that's the binary. Brain doesn't work, can't read. Brain does, uh, brain doesn't work, can only read. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like. Okay, our f- get it going, Bailey. Yeah, our first trek obviously just has to be Percy Jackson. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, 
just read the Percy Jackson series. It's so good. And there are so many spinoffs at this point, too. Like, Rick Riordan is just... How do you say his name? I've always said Riordan. Okay. That makes sense. But also... Who has been more correct about pronunciations this month? Because it hasn't been me. I, I'll think what I'll do is I'll say it different every time just to have a chance of being right. <laughs> oh, you're really gonna put some some weird emphasis on this. I'm excited. Weird, weird. Then, anyway, our our boy Rick. Um, I'm sure if you are listening to Myth Month, you probably have already read Percy Jackson like 15 years ago. But I specifically remember, this is just like a good childhood memory. I remember I read the Percy Jackson books like as they were coming out. Shows my age. And um, I had one of like the neighbor boys and I, like we would always, anytime we would like see each other, we would always just like look at each other. And like the first thing we would say was like, who is, um, who is Percy's father? Like it would just be like, (laughs) we wouldn't even have like actual conversations. It would just be like quizzing each other on facts about Percy Jackson. (laughs) Oh, but it was I just so good. So obviously, read Percy Jackson. I, I am really not a big crier. I cry at the beginning of the fifth book every single time. Oh yeah, um, and that's fair. Like not even at the end, but like that first death at the beginning of the fifth book. It just like most YA authors shy away from death unless it's realistic fiction. Mm. Um, and I really appreciated like. I think that Rick Riordan accepts that children need to understand things and they, like, deserve representation the same way that adults do. Like, he, like, has openly gay characters in his books. He has a trans character in one of his books. And when people have been like, you can't do that, they're kids. He's like, you're stupid. He's like, that's exactly why I'm doing it. That's exactly why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, like, most of his books were published through Disney Hyperion, so it's really interesting that he is just like, look, you can either have this cash cow and let me write it how I want, or you cannot have it. Yeah. And they know where the money is. Required and come so on anyway, the pod. love him. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, what's your second wreck? My second wreck is not really, like, an actual story. It's called Heroines of Olympus by Ellen Mack and Roberts. Um, I cannot remember when I read it. I will tell you this. I might have just been, like, in a Barnes & Noble one time and saw it on the shelf and just, like, sat down and, like, looked through it one day. Um, But it's basically just, like, the retelling of um, 50 women in greek mythology and it just like spends like two or three pages talking about who they were and like what their relation is to like the heroes and their stories and stuff like that it's not really like it's basically like a wikipedia of important women in mythological greece um to save you from being me during Greek Myth Month, which is being like, wait, who the hell is that? What, what, what did they do? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and it's very interesting. Like I said, if you're like down to just like reading a Wikipedia article every now and again, every now and again, as I am, uh, that is, that's my rec for you. Tucker, I see you're editing okay. the outline. we're recording yes i am adding more books (laughs) i will also put recommendations in the show notes this time um because i really i really have deeply enjoyed reading all of these greek myth books um i do think part of the reason i enjoy them is that like you do have to work a little harder to like really understand the purpose behind why things are written whereas like lots of books by a female point of view like a lot of books written from a female point of view are romance or they are explicitly about motherhood or like things that are about things that are inherently feminine and like I think it's really interesting to read Greek Greek myth books partly because like they are almost always tied to some form of heroics Mm -hmm. like it 
I, I, we're, like, following traditional women's themes, but, like, in a, like, non-traditional female format, which I think is interesting. Anyway, we'll start with Rex from authors that we've already read. One, Madeline Miller is apparently working on a Hades and Persephone story. It is not out yet. I don't have any sort of release date for you, but hopefully she will tie together the really incredible work she did in Circe's to the really incredible like prose about love that she managed to have in the Song of Achilles and kind of marry them in a healthier relationship type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, next is Electra by Jennifer Saint. Electra is the daughter of Clytemnestra and Agamemnon who's left. Um, Clytemnestra, it's written from the point of view of Clytemnestra married to Agamemnon, Cassandra taken from Troy as Agamemnon's slave after the fall of the city. She is the, um, the priestess who is cursed to have none of her prophecies believed because she refused to have sex with Apollo after he gave her the gift of prophecy. And um, Electra. So it's from three points of view, all women tied to Agamemnon. It is about, I think, female rage. Um, I did find it vaguely frustrating because I think it's stupid for Electra to um, love Agamemnon. But, like, I think that Jennifer Saint makes really interesting points about familial ties and, like, the relationships that we carry forward from childhood and, like, some people's unwillingness to, like, look back at a former relationship and, like, see the, like, faults in the character of, like, a parent. So, Electra was good. I do not own it, mostly because it's not out in paperback yet. Jennifer Saint is also writing a book called Atalanta, coming out April 13th, um, which is about a female warrior, which I think will be kind of lit, because she has not really written about a woman in war, just a woman affected by war. Um, other books, if you want to read things from the point of view of women in Troy, would be anything by Pat Barker. So, Silence of the Girls, The Women of Troy are both books that I've read by her that are very good. If you are looking for books about why the Trojan War always ends stupid, and also why being a woman connected to a hero sucks... And also why women women don't have agency and the way that they take agency being in small ways. I would read anything by Pat Barker. Um, she really gives women a voice and sticks with the original stories. But I think does a good job of not making it seem like extremely depressing. Um, next recommendation. Um, Natalie Haynes wrote a book called A Thousand Ships, which is going to be, of all of these books, my number one recommendation for you guys. Um, that is the book I was talking about with Bailey earlier about how the gods will do what they will. A Thousand Ships is written from the point of view of every single woman affected by the Trojan War, Briseis and the women of Troy and Penelope and Iphigenia. Like, there's a chapter from Iphigenia's point of view, just, like, ten pages long, from the beginning of her journey from Agamemnon's court when she finds out she's supposed to marry Achilles until her death. And you just, like, see... She traces these women through the Trojan War, and it is so interesting and every once in a while there's a chapter sprinkled in of why the war is happening from the god's point of view Hmm. and their effect on the war and then you see how it affects the the women involved next tucker do you own Um, this book i do own this book it's very very good i love it very much i did just buy a copy of stone blind by her as well which I did read reviews and people were frustrated that um, it's not as much from the point of Medusa as they would like it to be. But, like, if she does what she did with A Thousand Ships, I don't think I'm going to have complaints. Nice. Um, Other quick recommendations. If you want to read a really kind of depressing point of view from Phaedra, where Phaedra is not in love with Hippolytus and he is... Um, he is sworn to Athena in the way that, like, 
young Christian men are sworn to the Lord until they are too tempted. Oh, God. And then they blame the woman. Oh, no. Uh, that tells you enough. Oh, no. Um, you could read Phaedra. Um, if you're looking for a modern day, eh, I don't know if you can call Napoleonic England modern day. <laughs> if you're looking for a not, <laughs> if you're looking for a not ancient Greek version of stuff tied to Grecian times, you could read Pandora by Susan Stokes Chapman, which I just finished and I found interesting, but it it didn't, to me at least, match up to any recognizable myth. Um, another that you could read that is going to be, I have not read it, but I am going to recommend it because it is Margaret Atwood, so I don't think that it can be bad, uh, barring the Testaments, which was not good. Um, <laughs> the Penelope ad, um, by Margaret Atwood, which is from the point of view of Penelope. And then if you guys don't know what happens when Odysseus gets back to court after the end of the Odyssey, he kills all of the men who were, like, lusting after Penelope, and then he forces his son Telemachus to murder um, the maids who were serving Penelope because they, like, I'm fuzzy on the details, couldn't be trusted, or he needed to, like, make a sacrifice to the gods for the deaths that he'd caused— Something like that. So then it's narrated from the point of view of the dead maids. Ooh. Which I think sounds fascinating. It's very Margaret Atwood. Very Margaret Atwood, which means one, it's going to be incredibly written, and two, you're going to feel a lot of feelings, and three, you're going to leave, like, understanding more about, like, womanhood in the society that we live in. And then... Um, if you are interested in reading more about, like, academic writing about women in myth, you could read The Heroine with a Thousand and One Faces by Maria Tatar, which I own a copy of. I will admit I have not finished it, but you must understand my silly little brain needs to read garbage fiction, um, to feel things. If you are looking for truly smutty Greek myth romance... You could read the Dark Olympus series by Katie Roberts. If you tell anyone I recommended this to you, it will upset me. It was <laughs> one of the smuttier things that I have ever read that is not fan fiction. It was well written. I will not be elaborating. Damn. Kind of want you to, though. <laughs> um, the first one is Hades and Persephone. Okay. It's, it's very horny. Is anything gay? Um, no. I am not interested. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, okay. Let's see. Um, we've made it through our first comparison contrast episode. If you guys like it, make your little comments on the Instagram. Please, please, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um... You can also you can rate us, us on, on Spotify. At English Majors Pod. You can follow us on Twitter. Yes, you can also rate us on Spotify. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at English Majors Pod. No, I. Um, you can send us an email at English Majors Pod at gmail.com if you like have book recommendations or enjoyed any of the books. Um, I'd really love to hear from people so I know that you guys like it and are enjoying it. And if you like any of the books I recommended, that would make me really happy. Um, and then thank you to Bailey for being my first guest this month and for running the social media and for keeping me honest on the Goodreads comments. <laughs> um, I have so appreciated you being patient while we worked out the kinks on what it's like to make a podcast and for really being like, no, Tucker, you should do this. This is going to be fun. I'm having a very good time, and I'm very thankful for you. Yes, I'm so glad that I could be the first guest, even though, as we all know, I barely know a single thing. Again, my degree is in anthropology. Let it let it be known. Um, 
uh, don't worry, everyone. In your next few months, you will have exclusively English majors that will follow the namesake of the pod, so they will hopefully have more intelligent things to say than I did. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that I got to be on. Glad I got to vibe. Glad I actually got to. This is probably the first time I've read three books in a month in like ten years. So <laughs> thank you, Tucker, for making me do that. <laughs> Of course, I'm sorry you only liked one of one and a half of them. One, yeah, but that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, because that's how it is with book talk, and that um, is true. We should talk about what's happening next week. Next week, my dear friend Lydia is going to join us on the pod, and we are going to start in on um, women-specific dystopia month. We are starting with a classic. Speaking of Margaret Atwood, if you would like to read along, next week is going to be The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I know that it is not a popular book talk book, but um, I think there's so much to learn from it. And maybe we will talk about what actually makes good fiction. Um, for I really certainly believe that The Handmaid's Tale is. So anyway, thank you everyone for listening along, and I will see you guys next week with a new guest. And don't worry, Bailey will be back in the future. We will we will be doing more reading together. More reading, more books that we will probably hate. <laughs> so stay oh, tuned. <laughs> we are reading more books that... <laughs> I get all the okay, fun ones. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>